I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Dateable Podcast. We are UA and Julie, and we want to discuss everything about modern dating and the dating culture. But at the root of dating is human connection, something that we are very passionate about and something that we sort of lost in the last few years. And so many people we see in our community are trying to get that connection back. Absolutely. And I feel like before this episode, I would never have connected self-awareness with human connection. Mm. Like clearly they're in the same vein, but I think this episode really ties the connection of human connection. And I was so excited when you found Dr. Tasha Yurik, her TED Talk, and you know, she really breaks down the science of self-awareness in a way that I think we hear the word self-awareness. It's almost like this buzzword, kind of like person 
personal development or intentionality or even communication. It's like, this is what you need to do to be successful in relationships. But what do these actually mean? And I love that we're able to break it down actual definitions of self-awareness. And spoiler alert, none of us are as self-aware as we think we are. (laughs) (laughs) And I like her a point of even if you are self-aware or working towards that, you have to use that information. It doesn't just sit idle. And I this is also related to our upcoming course, Finding Your Person. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Finding Your Person program is something that we launched last year. It was very popular. And we are about to relaunch it again. But as part of this program, you'll learn about self-awareness. Yes, learn about yourself more. But we also have a proprietary positive refact method where it helps you put your self-awareness information into action. Yes, it's all about the action. I feel like it's it's both. You know, you can't just do, do, do and not think ever. I think that's problematic. But also just getting into a state of rumination. We talk about the difference of rumination yes. versus reflection in this episode. And that's really important. How do I reflect on what's happened, but use that information as power to move forward and make action happen? Yeah, we had so many conversations in the last few years about people putting their personality test results. <laughs> on their uh, dating app bios, or they're putting their schemas on their bios. It's like, it's great to know this. And we are all identifying with these results. But what do you do with these results? And do you want to still be this person? And something we've uncovered recently is that you're constantly evolving, taking a snapshot of who you are in this moment. But there's also a snapshot of who you could be in the future. And how do we get there that comes with self-awareness and using the self-awareness information? Yes. She also talks about a quiz that she has that you yeah. have to answer. And then you send it to your friend, which yeah, I, did I still need to you, a- yeah yesterday. You have not completed it yet. It's been less than 24 hours. I guess you're excused from it. But the whole point is to see like, does your perceptions match how other people perceive? That's huge, right? (laughs) That's huge. If you're if you think you're a certain way, but does that really mean other people perceive you in that way? It's like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around, did it really fall? I don't know. I don't remember what the, how it goes. <laughs> I like but that it's analogy. Like, it's like if other people don't acknowledge you as being that way, are you actually that way? It's really interesting information. And this is why we feel like when it comes to personal development, you can't just do this work on your own. You can't just be in silo thinking about who you are, you have to interact with other people for this to actually come true and be realistic for you. Yeah. Has this ever happened to you, UA? Because I definitely have been here before where you do take that time to do the personal development. In fact, I took an entire year off from dating at all. After a brutal breakup, I did not date for a year. And I did a ton of self-development. And then when I went back into it, you know, things still come up. And a lot of times Mm. you think, oh, I thought like I was past this. But I think what I've learned over time is, one, the journey's never over. But then two, of course, if you're doing this at a silo by yourself and doing reading the books and doing the exercises, but not interacting with people that are going to trigger it in some way, of course, everything's going to be good. It's the true test is you can never control the people out there. So how is it that you're going to react once you get this information? So like, true. have you ever had that happen where it's like kind of like resurfaced for you? You know, th- certain things, we had an episode about positive intelligence and we talked about saboteurs and certain people can 
trigger your saboteurs to come out. And it's just the way we're conditioned. It's so much of our conditioning that we've had ever since we were little kids. So I've definitely had situations where I felt like in the academic sense, I could see myself and say, okay, you should respond in this way. But in the current practical sense, in the emotional sense, I was not able to put it into practice in the moment. Like when I get into fights with my partner, it's it's never the way I imagined it to go. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like hindsight is 2020 as cliche as that sounds. Yeah. I'm actually gearing up to go to Austin this weekend, so Yay. I will be coming back from Austin when this episode officially drops, but I will be um there over the weekend and I was thinking about it. I'm going to a, my college friend's wedding, seeing a bunch of friends from college I haven't seen in 3 years, which is nuts. And I was thinking about it like I had a friend that went through something pretty serious with her partner a while back. I mean, they've been married for years. And I remember I was really upset she didn't tell me because, you know, I was like, this was in a stage where, you know, I felt like friends shared everything. And I was kind of like, even like personally offended that my friend didn't share this thing that she was going through. And, you know, it's taken like years later and self-awareness. I was like, wow, I was kind of an asshole that I even like expected her to tell me that and made it about me. You know, it's Mm. like there's certain things that one, it's her partner's thing that he was going through that really had nothing to do with her her to even share. So there's like that piece. And then second, like she doesn't need to share every last thing with her friends. It's not like she doesn't value me as a friend because she didn't share something personal they were going through. But I feel like I was lacking that self-awareness back then to even realize Mm. that I wasn't the center of the world and didn't need to know every last thing. Yeah. And also friendships are just so different when people are in, in relationships. Your idea of a friendship of always being there for each other and telling each other everything changes when you get into relationships. And rightfully so. I mean, we've seen it. There are certain friends that were like, you shouldn't have told us that about your partner because now I see your partner in a totally different way and I'm not sure if I can be in the same room as him, honestly. Yeah, but I'm like thinking about it even like with myself. Like if I was going through something personal that I shared with my partner, Mm -hmm. that's different than him sharing it with a bunch of his friends. You know, that isn't necessarily what you're signing up for. So I do think that, you know, age does add wisdom as we did talk about (laughs) last week too with our podcast with Rob so I think there's a component of that but then you know self-awareness and us thinking a lot of times that we are more self-aware than we actually are and I think you know remembering these times where maybe we weren't as self-aware whether that was you know in relationships or even you know romantic or friendship or family anything that's when it comes out because you're you're interacting with another human being the challenging part for me about self-awareness is that it makes sense in theory, but Mm -hmm. in practice, it's very hard to do. And recently, there was a situation that happened between, actually just happened to me, but it brought up some sort of the old UA thinking, um, (laughs) and it really bothered me. So here's, here's the scenario. My car wouldn't start, okay, dead battery or something. And my partner didn't know how to start a car with his car or jumpstart a car. We didn't have the tools. We didn't know how to do it. We've never done it before. And I got a little irked because my old ways of thinking about gender roles came into play, Mm. thinking, well, 
You're like a dude. You should know. You should, yeah, yeah, you should have the tools and you should know how to jumpstart a car. Why am I calling a service to come to jumpstart my car? You should be able to do it. In my head, this was going through. It was very interesting, Julie, because I was observing my thoughts. I did not let <laughs> them come out, but I was observing my thoughts and I got more and more annoyed by myself. Mm. I'm like, why do I have these general expectations coming into play again? And the self-awareness definitely helped in this scenario, but it took a lot of breathing and meditation to get myself out of this rabbit hole of, of blaming my partner for something that was totally unrelated to him. I think there's growth there, though. The fact that you even could identify that where this was coming from and the fact that it was that you're, you know, relying on some gender stereotype that doesn't really have any value and weight whatsoever. Yeah. And this is where yeah. this annoyance is coming from. I would say probably old UA would not have even been able to do that. And I think that is progress of self-awareness. And you would have just you. got annoyed and upset <laughs> by your partner instead of, you know, at least at least you were processing it that you just didn't like lash out at him. <laughs> when the mechanic came, I was like, maybe I should date him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he would know how to jumpstart my car. That guy gets so many dates because of frustrated women. <laughs> He's like the most popular dude on the block. Yeah. He's like, sorry, you got to get on this wait list. Yeah, I'm booked up for the next two weeks. Sorry. <laughs> Every time I have a frustrating situation, I always think about like, you know, when my dog is sick, I'm like, oh, I should just date a vet. You know, if I'm having personal problems of like, maybe I should just date a therapist. <laughs> but then you'd also be annoyed because that's like what you would talk about the whole time, you know, the whole time. I've always wondered what it's like to date a therapist. Oh what my god. I feel like I feel like you and I should never date a therapist. No. Because we would just go there all the time. Like I think if a therapist probably needs someone that's a little more easygoing and light and just fun that isn't yeah. as deep of thinker. So yeah, I feel like the overthinkers would be a really bad pair at that one. You just never leave the house because you just be talking no, all the time. You just be talking all the time. It would be bad. Talking about feelings. Like I think it's good to talk about feelings. Don't get me wrong, but there is a line of over talking about feelings for sure. You know, I had a moment the other day when I was with my therapist. I was like, she is kind of annoying me right now. This is why I could never <laughs> date a therapist because she kept asking me questions. And I'm like, if I were in a relationship with her, I'd be like, stop asking me questions. <laughs> I was like, that's probably me to my partner. <laughs> how do you feel right now? How do you feel right now? Yeah, how do you, what are your feelings? But how do you feel right now? now how do you really feel? <laughs> Maybe I should take that as a tip of self-awareness that that could be annoying. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Noted. There we go. Don't be a therapist to your partner unless if you are asked to yes. be. Cool. Well, you know, we'll save the good stuff for the episode. There's so many yeah. nuggets in here. And, you know, it feels overwhelming, but I love how Tasha breaks it down. And it's all about just getting that 1% more aware. You don't need to totally like blow up your whole life at this point. It's the first step is just that awareness. Yeah. Okay, one other thing that happened this week that is so exciting is that we were on New York Public Radio again. Yay. So welcome anyone that is joining us for the first time. UA and I got the pleasure of talking about breakups and uncuffing season. Yeah, it's a show called All of It. We were on it before with Allison and it was such a fantastic discussion because we were on it for like, what, half an hour? It 30 like, minutes, yeah. Yeah, it was a really long time. We took some listener questions 
questions and some of them were really fantastic. Just this one woman's like, you don't need to break up with your partner. You just move away from them for a little bit and then you move back with them. <laughs> just breakups, I think it's it's a topic that everyone can relate to. And we are coming upon that season where the weather's getting warmer. So breakups are getting hotter. <laughs> and yes. uh, it's hard. It's hard to go through a breakup. And um, I'm just very honored that we were a part of that discussion to help people, you know, deal with breakups. Yeah. And I did not say bullshit this time. <laughs> we did not get beeped from the air. So it was a very big accomplishment. Learn my lesson the hard way. <laughs> For anyone that remembers last time we were on this show, it cut out real fast when I used the word bullshit by accident, realized in <laughs> retrospect, probably shouldn't be saying that on New York Public Radio. <laughs> but we were still invited back. So we it were. wasn't that we bad. Were. We were because, you know, we are so self-aware and they <laughs> needed us to be there. <laughs> shed light but (laughs) it's hard not to cuss okay it's really hard not to cuss hey that is an exercise in self-awareness now i'm aware (laughs) that i should not be saying stuff like that outside of this podcast it's hard because on this podcast anything goes and i need to remember that there are times and places for certain language also you know i it's not something that's uh that's widely known that that kind of language is not okay on public radio like on tv shows they can say shit now yeah Exactly. So I'm exactly. always kind of confused about what the rules are. Not your fault, <laughs> well, Julie. you live, you learn. You live, you learn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, welcome all of the new listeners. And we are excited because this is definitely a good episode that we've got in store for you. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to be relaunching the Finding Your Person program. Yay! Very exciting. A new cohort coming through. We're super pumped to get this going again. And We've been pushing the last couple of weeks to join the wait list, which is really important because one, you'll be notified when the program opens before everyone else that we do have limited spots. So clearly getting it a day early will only help you. And then second, you will be getting a series of videos that give a lot of information about what is in our program. Like what is this positive refact method that UA talked about that's a secret sauce. And also there'll be tidbits that you can use today. This is not the actual program. But it's almost like a little teaser into it just to give you more info so you can decide, like, is this interesting? Is this not interesting? Obviously, we want people that are fully on board to, you know, take that next step. And, you know, this resonates with the content. So if you're not on the wait list yet, you can join at findingyourperson.com. If you are joining now, don't worry, you'll still be able to watch all the videos, even if you come in a week late. And if you are, you know, joined a long time ago. We're not going to like spam people that have joined a while ago with all of this. But if you do want to get these videos again, you can go back and resubscribe to the waitlist and then you'll be eligible to get them again. And yeah, we look forward to giving you out this information. We feel really strongly about this program and we're excited that we have the bandwidth to launch it again. Yeah, to get on the waitlist, it's completely free. So you get all the information for free. And once you are enrolled in the program, the program is completely self-paced. So we get this question a lot. How long is the program? Mm -hmm. Do I need to join these calls? No, it's completely self-paced. You'll just have access to all the materials. And we do a check-in in the middle of it all to see how everyone's doing. And you get to meet other people who are enrolled in the program at the same time as you. 
Yep. And then at the very end of the program, too, you can schedule a one-on-one with UA and I as well. So you will be able to chat with us. That's part of why we limit the people in the first place. But the majority of it is self-paced, like UA said. Yay. So findingyourperson.com. Get on it. Nice. Um, Other announcements, if you're not in our Facebook group yet, Love in the Time of Corona, that's the place to be. Our premium group, The Sounding Board, go to Datable Podcast slash Sounding Board. You do need to register to come into that group because there's a monthly subscription for that one. So do that and then we'll let you into the group. But feel free to follow us at Datable Podcast and in Love in the Time of Corona. Those are kind of our public forums. Okay, so before we get into it, let's hear from our sponsors. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Burnout to me means not having the energy or time for the things that matter in life. Whenever I feel burnt out, I feel isolated from the world and feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle. Life can be overwhelming and many people feel burnt out without even knowing it. Some burnout symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burnt out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. Now, I've been recently talking about burnout with my BetterHelp therapist, and she has provided me with worksheets that guide me to figure out what is weighing me down. I learned a concept called cognitive distortion, which has really shifted the way things affect me. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash data. That's betterhelp.com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. Okay, let's hear it from Dr. Tasha Yurik. Self-awareness. Many of us believe that we're more self-aware than we (laughs) actually are. And sometimes when we are actually self-aware, it doesn't mean that that's the end. So this is why we have a self-proclaimed self-awareness nerd with us today, Dr. (laughs) Tasha Yurik, who is an organizational psychologist, executive coach, researcher, New York Times bestselling author, and again, self-awareness nerd. She's originally from Denver, currently lives in Denver. She's in her 40s. She's married. Her mission in life is to help people become the best of who they are and what they do. Hi, Tasha. How are you? I'm so great. It's, It's wonderful to be here to speak with both of you. Welcome. Some of our most popular episodes have been about self-awareness and the different assessments that people can take. But today we're really going to get into what exactly is self-awareness and what are some of the, the, the misconceptions about what it is. So let's just start there. What is self-awareness? Well, it's that's a very big question. And <laughs> it was even bigger than I thought when I first started examining this topic. But just quick background on me. I'm an organizational psychologist, as you mentioned, and my day job is coaching Uh, CEOs and senior executives, usually telling very powerful, successful people that maybe there are some things they could do differently or better. And uh, I had a client once name me the Velvet Hammer, which I thought was a nice compliment, (laughs) I think. (laughs) 
It's kind of sexy. <laughs> I know, right? I was like, cool. Um, and I've been doing this for 20 years, which is crazy because the time has flown by. But in that time, what I've seen with client after client after client, not just as, as leaders, but as humans, the people who are willing to re-examine themselves and even be willing to see truths, either themselves or through other people's eyes that they hadn't seen or considered before were always more successful. And so that actually is what started me on this very fun, very exciting rabbit hole of empirical research on self-awareness. And my team, uh, over a dozen studies over the last 10 years, we've been looking at scientifically, what is self-awareness? Where does it come from? Why do we need it? And by the way, boy, do we need it. And then how do we get more of it? And so, you know, this has kept us very busy. But to the question, what is self-awareness? It actually took us almost a year Mm. to scientifically define this term. And if you think about it, it's kind of like the word communication. Mm -hmm. Everybody uses the word all the time, but very often they mean entirely different things. And that was what we found just Mm. with the scientists looking at it. So here is our simple definition. I call this simplicity on the other side of complexity. Self-awareness means two things, both of which we, we need. Number one, knowing who we are inside, internally. And then number two, understanding how other people see us. Mm-hmm. And put yourself in my shoes. Those two things early on in the research study, would you guys think they were related or not related? If you know yourself, you'd also know how other people see you and vice versa. I definitely think of it as the first part of knowing yourself, less about how other people see you. So I see how they are mm-hmm. interconnected, but also I don't know if it would be the first thought that propped into my mind, at least. See, you're 12 steps ahead of where I was. I was like, <laughs> of course, these two things will be related. And we found, for any statistics nerds who are listening, a 0.0 oh, correlation interesting. between your huh. internal self-awareness, like who am I? What makes me tick? What do I want? What do I care about? And then how do I come across to other people? So that was a very interesting finding. And of course, you know, spurred a lot of others. Well, I feel like that's why there is such an importance here and why we want to talk about this as a podcast episode as our podcast relates to dating and relationships, because there's one thing about knowing yourself and then the other piece of how you're coming off to others. Why do you think self-awareness is so important in this dating context? It's sort of everything, if you think about it. You know, I come from the world of organizational psychology, and I think there are a crazy number of parallels between, for example, a job interview and a Mm -hmm. first date. Mm -hmm. In both of those situations, if you are completely focused on your own experience, not a lot of great things are going to happen. But if you're able to sort of simultaneously jump between what do I want, what do I care about, and how do I sort of understand the me that this other person is seeing, as well as who this person is, because that's a sort of paradox of self-awareness. The more self-aware we are, the more we can put ourselves in other people's shoes, which is very interesting. But it makes or breaks everything from the first impression that we have to, you know, in a relationship, the first fight or disagreement Mm -hmm. we have, we could blow the whole thing up, you know, and it goes (laughs) down in flames when really that wasn't our intention. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really one of those skills, I call it the meta skill of the 21st century. It's foundational to our success and our happiness in dating and generally in life. And you're basically touching upon this, which is what are some of the most common misconceptions about self-awareness? Because to me, that was mind-blowing to even to know that the two aren't correlated, the internal, the external. I just always assume if you're self-aware enough, you know how other people (laughs) perceive you. So what are some of the other myths and misconceptions? Well, let's get to the most uncomfortable one and we'll just put it out there and deal with it. (laughs) Let's go big first. Oh, man. 
again. So the biggest misconception about self-awareness is that we have it. Mm. Bingo. (laughs) So people that think they're self-aware generally aren't. Is that what you're saying? Okay. (laughs) That is exactly what I'm saying. And I have the science to back it up. So here's two data points that I think kind of say it all. Um, What percentage of people believe that they're self-aware, according to our research? Mm-hmm. 95%. I'm wow. not surprised. 95 <laughs> out of 100 people would say, yes, oh, I am very self aware. Thank you so much. <laughs> and the actual number is about 10 to 15%. Wow. And how did you measure that? Oh, well, I don't know if there, as a self awareness nerd, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> Maybe like the elevator pitch. As Tasha takes a sip, she's like, yeah. you ready? She's like, how much time yeah. do we have? Maybe the the condensed version will draw conclusions on our own that a lot more went into it. Perfect. Yes. So basically, there are seven types of self-knowledge that self-aware people have. Um, Things like knowing our values, knowing our passions, knowing our impact on other people. And what we did was we measured people's self-assessed of each of those seven pillars of self-awareness, as well as someone who knows them well, the Mm, other person's mm. assessment. Mm -hmm. And for them to be self-aware, they they actually had to tick both boxes. So there, this gets back to that paradox of, you know, if we overestimate our self-awareness, there has to be a check and balance. And that was why they had to clear both hurdles. I have to believe that I know myself very specifically, not just in general, but like, do I have a set of values that guide how I live my life? Um, do I know what makes me jump out of bed in the morning and design my life to make that happen? A, and then does someone else agree? So that it, it's a pretty down and dirty process to measure that. But that's where I think we can draw some conclusions that are pretty astonishing, that it's not just most of us think we're self-aware. 95% of us think we are compared to, you know, the Delta. It means 80% of us are that's essentially insane. lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. That's insane. So what's maybe like an example? I think this would help me just wrap my head around this too, especially in the dating and relationship context of someone that thinks they're self aware, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Let's So let's make this interesting. I'll give you two archetypes. Well, no, okay. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you two archetypes. Keep I'm ready. Simple. On one hand, think about someone who is completely absorbed in their own internal experience and totally oblivious to the way other people see them. Mm-hmm. So this is the person I was watching. I don't know if you guys have caught up on the latest season of uh, Mrs. Maisel, um, but no, I haven't. I'm a little behind, but yes, <laughs> so good. And she goes. I won't spoil anything, but she goes out on a date with this one guy who uh, apparently lived in Spain for a year. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of the date, he said that, like, I lived in Spain. And she goes, Oh, that's interesting. And then it turns out that he starts talking in Spanish to Midge, who doesn't speak Spanish, to the waiter, who doesn't speak Spanish. And it's the only thing he can talk about. <laughs> right. right. So, and I just thought to myself, this is the perfect example of someone who has low external self-awareness. He is totally unable to read the room and the date mm-hmm. goes miserably. She, mm-hmm. she ends up using her phone call and someone invents uh, a, a family emergency that she has to go home. For. Right. So that's one. And I think we all probably have had that experience ourselves. But then the other side is just as interesting, although it's a kind of a different problem. Someone who is so focused on what the other person person is experiencing and what they want, Mm. that they don't focus at all on what matters Mm. to them. So they might try to seem a certain way to someone, but not really 
believe that themselves. Like, oh, you like to golf? Oh, I love to golf. Uh -huh. But the person doesn't like to golf, right? So it, it's a different problem, but those are both examples of what it looks like practically. And you know, for the first one, you're probably going to have a lot of first dates. Mm -hmm. And then for the second one, you, you might get into a relationship and things get serious, but then you might wake up one day 20 years later and say, this isn't what I wanted at all. This mm -hmm. isn't right for me. So it's kind of both ends of the spectrum there. That's fascinating because the first one I feel like is classic. That's what I would have said if I was to think of an example, that person that talks nonstop throughout the date and they don't realize they haven't stopped to ask a single question. We've all been on that date. Mm -hmm. But the second sure. one that you mentioned is interesting to me because I don't know if I would have correlated that with self-awareness. I would think it was more people-pleasing or low mm -hmm. self-esteem, something like that. Like, How does that correlate to self-awareness? It's, it's an interesting balancing act. It really is about understanding who we are and what we want just as much as it is about the impression that we create with other people. And I think for a lot of people, and by the way, the archetype that we use or that I use in my research is I call those people pleasers. Mm, and by the okay. way, I am one of those people. <laughs> I didn't know what color uh, of new car I was going to buy several years back. So I crowdsourced it. I asked all of my friends mm -hmm. what color car I should get, mm. but I like couldn't figure it out myself, right? And that it, it's not what we think of, but it's a lack of self-awareness and that it's not allowing us to make decisions in the spirit of our success and our happiness. And when we see ourselves clearly and completely and compassionately, you know, warts and all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that's when we are really, it's its almost like a sweet spot. We we don't totally neglect one of those two areas, but at the same time, we can, we can live in both worlds. When a lot of times, you know, it, they don't agree. We might see ourselves in a completely different way than other people see us, mm. but the important thing is recognizing it. And that's, I think, a really practical takeaway for all of us. Well, Tasha, here's another loaded question related to that. Especially when it comes to dating. Do you think dating apps are playing into the lack of awareness of people, making them think that they have the awareness? Because we always hear people don't know what they want, but dating apps force you to tell them what you're looking for. At the end of the day, maybe we think we're so aware of what we're looking for, but we really don't know. I mean, I'll just use a personal example. My husband on paper is not the person that I thought I would uh -huh. end up with. We by, hear that by, all by the no time. Means, right? And and there's something about that chemistry where I think you're right. If you exclude a whole, you know, type of person because mm -hmm. you don't initially believe that's who you want, you're leaving it up to chance. Might you find the perfect person in, in your, you know, created parameters? Maybe. But is is a great person for you maybe outside of those parameters? I can say with a, we say in science, an N of one, one person in this study. <laughs> um, that was my experience. Yeah, yeah, this is really fascinating because I think I've thought of people that are, I'm thinking of like a past partner of mine specifically. I thought he was extremely self aware because he was able to see some of his faults and shortcomings very clearly, but he wasn't able to see the good that he brought to the table. So it's almost interesting that you're saying that self-awareness isn't just being aware of the faults, but it's how you show up as a whole. And I think a lot of daters that we see too don't recognize the catch they are. You know, like how can people start to look at self-awareness more holistically? That I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, and for anybody out there dating, 
this is really important to keep in mind. You know, I, the, the worst thing that somebody could do if they decide to kind of take a self-awareness journey or begin or rebegin one is to only focus on our faults and our mm-hmm. flaws. I see this all the time. I, I see this a lot, especially with female executives that I work with. Mm-hmm. They are superheroes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing impossible things every day. Everyone's in awe of them. And yet when you ask them, how's it going? Well, I, that presentation to the board could have been better when really yep. they nailed it. And I think the same is true with dating, right? We don't mm-hmm. always see what a catch we are. So here's a really practical exercise that I think anyone listening to this could do in dating or in work or just in general is think of, you know, eight or so people, eight to 10 people. It's good to have more than five so you can start to see patterns. And uh, open an email or a text and ask them, what is one thing that you see me doing that is really a foundational strength, Mm. right? So you Mm. could say, maybe for dating, it's your friends. Like when you've seen me out there, (laughs) what am I doing or what are you seeing that is, is, is something that's a strength that I may or may not see? And what happens is as people start to respond, which they almost always do very enthusiastically because it's positive and they want to help, is you start to maybe see some things that either you were hoping came across to other people Mm -hmm. or you never knew came across to other people. I've had... I can't even count how many leaders that I've coached be like, oh, apparently I'm an amazing negotiator or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And it's almost like we have to hear it from other people sometimes to believe it. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And that's kind of one way to to help ourselves see our own awesomeness. So once we figure out the disconnect, because I can see this in a dating scenario, I can see someone thinking, I'm a very good communicator. I'm very good conversationalist. But on dates, they're coming off as cold or standoffish. So when we figure out the disconnect, what is that step? to closing that delta? That's a, re- that's a great question. And the challenge is we could go almost any direction with this. So it's very personalized to what you want to achieve. I do think that model of internal versus external self-awareness comes in handy here because, you know, at the end of the day, are things going the way we want them to go? If not, that is what starts us to along the process of saying, you know, am I really finding this enjoyable? Am I happy? Mm -hmm. Do I feel like I'm ending up with the types of people that I want to be with that help me be, you know, my best me? If not, maybe there's some internal work that can be done of saying, what do I really want? You know, maybe mm-hmm. what were the the five things that the me of five years ago thought were important that the me of now doesn't actually care about? Or or what? how have my priorities changed? Even that quick exercise could help us surface an actionable insight in, in how we're approaching our, our dating life. But then on the other side of it, you might also say, okay, if things aren't going well, is it because the other people are opting out? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, am I getting ghosted? Or are people like not showing up to the second date? And I think if that's the case, that is a, a flashing red light to perhaps consider the impact that we're having on others. And here's a shortcut that I'll give you guys that has been helpful for me. We have these theories that we're different people in all areas of our lives. Like, oh, I'm so different on a first date than I am uh, in a meeting with my boss Mm -hmm. or talking to my parents or whatever. But we're usually the exact same person or a very similar version of that person. I can back this up. So every (laughs) CEO that I coach, I interview sometimes up to 30 people, not just who work with them, but who 
have known them forever and or live with them. So this includes adult kids. This includes spouses, childhood best friends, family members. And it never ceases to amaze me that I hear basically the same thing. So someone will say, well, your, your team thinks you're kind of a jerk. They're like, oh, well, I'm only like that at work. And I go, uh-huh. Your family also thinks you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm hearing the same stuff. Yeah. It, and and of course, you know, it's not, it's not identical, but the beauty of that mm. is if, you know, if you're feeling like you're not getting the results you want externally, there's no better place to look than the people that know you best. Mm. So they might be yes. able to help you. If you ask a couple of people, identify what is it that I'm doing to get in my own way here? Like what, you know, ask the people that you know, support and love you and will tell you the truth and you might get some new data. Let's hold that thought for a few messages. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So one thing that UA and I found really fascinating about your TED Talk that you did was 
I'll start with some background is that we're really focused a lot on the why. Why do people date the way they do? Why is modern dating the way it is? But your revelation was to shift from focusing on the why to the what. Can you go into that in a little more depth of why you think that's important for self-awareness? Yeah, that I think is probably the second biggest misconception that our research found. Um, and no one was surpri- more surprised than me. <laughs> there's a there's a long history in self-awareness of assuming that the best way to know ourselves, like our underlying motives and thoughts, and to your point, why we are the way we are, mm-hmm. is to excavate our unconscious. And usually the way we do that is through questions that begin with the word why. So if you know, I get in a fight with my husband, like I say in my TED talk about how to load the dishwasher, the question introspectively that I might ask with the best of intentions are, why are we always fighting? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Then I might get into this loop and, and here's what the research says, and I'll just kind of summarize this and we can go into more detail if we want to, but there are two problems with those types of questions for self-awareness. The first problem is that we have a false sense of our own accuracy in answering those questions. So I might say, why are we always getting in fights? And I assume that I can sort of go into that padlocked basement that is my you know, true self and find the answer. All I have to do is open it and walk through the door. But what research shows time and time again is that we actually can't answer those questions. There's so many parts of our experience and our ourselves that are just not accessible to mm-hmm. our conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. So what happens is we find an answer that feels true, mm-hmm. but is usually wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the reason that my husband and I are always getting, and it's usually very you know dramatic and creative, right? Like, oh, it's because I fought a lot with my dad when I was younger. And I'm replicating that same pattern. And and sometimes there is truth to that. But the point there is that there isn't an answer. And Mm. and a lot of times, just because it feels true doesn't mean it's true. Mm. And that's where we can get off track, right? We start to follow this false lead and we start to believe in, you know, it's end all be all nature when it really is kind of leading us astray. But the second reason asking why is dangerous is it leads us down the rabbit hole of rumination. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but oh, every yes. time I ask myself why, I end up with like the last statement is like, because I'm a terrible person and <laughs> yeah. I don't deserve to be. And, and even like confident, successful, happy people can get there. Um, and so that's where it sounds very surprising. And it was as surprising to me as it sounds. Why questions are not the route to self-awareness. It's like the WebMD model, right? You can say like, Ooh, I have yeah. a sore throat. And then end of the day, you're like, I'm dying because that's what yeah. WebMD is telling me. <laughs> so what we're, what we're saying is it's interesting. You can, we can be curious about the why, mm-hmm. but more mm-hmm. importantly, it's the what. Like, how are we going to move forward from this? So so how right. do we use the what in our in our framework, I guess? And that's, yeah, it's exactly what we discovered is the difference, it, the huge difference it makes in asking what questions versus why questions. So at first we thought this was just a, you know, like a fluke. Oh, all the self-aware people are starting with what instead of why. But as we got into it, we really saw the profound difference. So if I go back to my example, I'm pointing at my dishwasher because it's over there (laughs) with my husband. We get in this fight. I could ask, why are we always getting in the same fight? Or I could ask one of the following, and this is not a complete list. Uh, What part of that did I own? Mm -hmm. Or 
what in that situation told me that things were going wrong in the conversation? Or what can I do differently the next time we're in that situation? And the difference there is instead of trying to find that hidden end-all be-all truth, we're trying to find a pragmatic way forward and to find mm. solutions and to be empowered to take action. And, and it, you know, it, it's true that I think we should be curious about the why, right. but there's a humility in what self-aware people do, which is they say, you know, I might not ever know why, but that doesn't mean that I can't have insight moving forward. And I think that's the biggest thing is insight moving forward mm -hmm. is far more valuable than insight from the past. Yeah. I, I like this idea of how do we merge the why and the what, because I do think the why is valuable in the sense that it gives you explorations of all the things that may be going on. I'll use an example, ghosting, right? When you get ghosted, you could just jump to there's something fundamentally wrong with me or doing the why, you can explore maybe this person isn't ready for a relationship. Maybe they got back together with their ex. Like there's all these different things. But to your point, what I'm hearing and I agree with is we may never know what that why is. And is that actually even helping us? So in that example with ghosting, how could you reframe that to make it actually you know beneficial to you without necessarily mm -hmm. thinking that you're just doomed? Uh, that's a great example. Here's what I would do. Um, I think in situations like that where we have, you know, we feel like we have zero information about what made that person do whatever it is they did, it can be helpful to try on different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So what I would encourage somebody in that situation to do um, is to say, what are five different reasons someone mm. might do that? Mm. And it doesn't matter what the right answer was. The important thing is that we're getting perspective to help us see the context, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe this isn't because I'm a fundamentally undateable person, <laughs> right? but you know, maybe it really is crazy for them at work. Like that is a distinct possibility, or maybe they just got out of a relationship and they're not ready. But all of those help us see that, you know, it isn't, we're not wrong. There's something wrong about the situation that isn't necessarily an indictment of us. Yeah, that's a huge difference. I really like that over even the why, even though we've been saying the why, because I feel like it does get you out of that rumination loop that you mm -hmm. mentioned. And I, I love this, what are five reasons? So you still can explore, which is essentially what the why was doing before. We're not taking that away from anyone. We're almost like time boxing it so you don't go down that spiral. Is there a way to say like a what that can help you move forward with it? I would even, so I'm trying to think of like something that would inform our action. So the next time I am, you know, on a first date or the the next time I'm things are going in the right direction, what are the signals that I might look for, mm. you know, that would suggest we're not on the same page? Mm -hmm. It's focusing our attention. It's not necessarily, we don't even have to necessarily radically change our approach. Right. I think the important thing to remember that we've found about self-awareness is it's incremental. So we shouldn't put the pressure on ourselves to wake up tomorrow and be a completely new person. It's, mm -hmm. it's not feasible. It's not kind to ourselves because there's no way anyone could do that. Mm -hmm. So even something as small as setting a goal in this, in this you know, next series, this next round, <laughs> yeah. am I going to, what am I going to pay attention to and what can I learn? And 
and maybe even what can I learn from this is another great one. I like that because it's forward thinking. Mm-hmm. It's think it's not trying to get to the answers like you said that we may never get to. And the why kind of makes you look backwards at, oh, that that could have gone better or I should have noticed that. But moving forward and thinking about the what, you're thinking about the next time in this situation, what is it that I can look for or do do better. Exactly. Uh, th- this might this is a great time to bring in a, a truly profound thought that I recently learned from uh, my friend Marshall Goldsmith, who's you know number one leadership thinker in the whole world. He talks about this concept of every breath we take, we are a new person. Mm-hmm. And at first, that sounds kind of simplistic, right? But as you think about it, what he talks about is you know how could I, the me of right now in this moment fault the me of a month ago or a year ago Mm -hmm. or five years ago for their choices. Right. Every time I get up in the morning, I'm a new me and I can become whoever I want to be, you know, within reason. (laughs) And I think there's something really powerful about that for dating. It helps us move forward with intention and insight and not needlessly beat ourselves up because we're not that same person anymore. Right. Really profound stuff. That is really fantastic to hear. And even speaking about that, which is something daunting about self-awareness and getting to be more self-aware, is the fact that we are constantly evolving and changing. So yes, I could be very self-aware who I, who I am today, but do I have to be always this active <laughs> in my self-awareness activity <laughs> to stay as self-aware as I want to be? It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Sounds it sounds exhausting. <laughs> Yeah. And and I'll be the first one to admit that it is not a crime to make things easy for ourselves. So the first thing I think we have to do is recognize that this is a marathon. This isn't like, oh, if I just do this and this and this, I will be self-aware and I'm mm-hmm. done. Um, <laughs> it's really inspiring to me to learn about the the daily habits of self-aware people. These are not people who are spending hours every week in therapy as an example. These are people who are more likely to find small, almost seemingly insignificant insights Mm -hmm. in their day-to-day life Hmm. that add up over time in really incredible ways. So I think there's something where if we can take that pressure off ourselves of like, oh, I have to increase my self-awareness by 50% by next (laughs) week. And instead, just just have, I call it a braver but wiser mindset, which is curious. You know, no matter what I know about myself, I I may always be surprised by something new, positive Mm. or negative. But the beauty Mm -hmm. is I know. And knowing is always better than not knowing because when we know, we can choose. I think there was there was the quote that you had in your TED Talk that touched on this so well. It was from Rumi that was, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I changed myself. And I love that quote so much and what you're saying here of just how do you get a little better every day? It doesn't need to be these drastic steps. Why do you think, though, you know, taking ownership for yourself opposed to just looking at the world and dating culture as an example pertaining to dating is so important. You know, I I think it's even more important in general, in every area of our lives, including dating. And it fundamentally comes down to how do you see your role in your own life? Mm. Is it one where you choose or is it one where choices are made for you? Mm-hmm. And there's not, you know, obviously the answer is both, <laughs> but there's an, 
empowerment and kind of a, a sense of self, um, just moving forward that self-aware people have where they say, okay, I can't control everything. And it would be delusional of me to assume that I could. But in this lane, the lane of me, where every day that I wake up, I can be a new person. I can choose what I want to work on. I can choose what I want to let go of and ignore. That seems to me in this crazy and complicated and chaotic world, the surest path that we have control over. And, and you know, it's true for dating. I, I think we all have friends on both sides of that spectrum. One is like, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to learn. And the other is like, dating is a total scam. Right. I yeah. will never do yeah. it again. And, yeah. you know, it's rigged and it, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But but I think who gets to make that choice at the end of the day, even if it doesn't feel that way, it's us. We mm -hmm. get to decide. Right? Yeah. And what if, okay, so I'm just going to speak to the extreme here because I remember when I was dating, I saw a profile of someone writing, this is what they put in their bio. I am self-aware that I am an asshole. What do you... <laughs> what? <laughs> What do we say to people who are aware of their whatever state, state that they're in? Maybe they're an asshole. And they're like, I'm okay with that. I'm going to stay this way because I get to control my world and I'm going to control the fact that I am an asshole. What do we say to these people? These people I came up with a very technical term for. Oh, I, I call them <laughs> the aware don't care. Ah, <laughs> They still have a self-awareness problem don't they? Mm -hmm. Because they know they're an asshole, but they really probably don't fully appreciate how much it's limiting them. And if they do and they don't care, you know, that's really kind of a very special different type of person that you probably wouldn't want to date. But I think either way, everybody makes their own choices. And the beauty of being braver but wiser is you say, ah, well, how nice for you. <laughs> it is not my job to, to make you realize what an unbelievable jerk you are. <laughs> Keep doing that if you want to. I'm going to devote this energy to my own happiness. That is, I think, the most powerful choice we can make. You know, people ask me all the time, how do I make, you know, whoever, you know, my spouse or right. my significant other more self-aware? Can we do that? Absolutely. Will we be able to do it in any, any given situation? Maybe. But the success rate isn't high. Mm. So that's where I come back to spend that energy on yourself. Forget mm -hmm. wasting it on other people. So true. You're talking about the two types of people, you know, the ones that are focused on themselves and how can I like continue to grow from this dating experience? And then the others that are, you know, quick to blame the apps, quick to blame the other people, quick to blame their city, insert whatever external <laughs> that you want. And I mean, there's a little piece of me that dies every time I hear a <laughs> see someone post in our Facebook group about just like how the apps are out to get them or mm -hmm. how dating culture, they're just giving up because of it. But I also recognize that when you're in the thick of it, it can be really mm. difficult, especially when you feel like all the you know cards are stacked against you. Or maybe you feel like you've done a lot of self-work. Maybe you feel like you've been mm -hmm. in therapy and you're like, why won't this ever click? How can people still start to, you know, take that ownership without feeling like, you know, dismal and doom that they've done it all? I love that question. And it actually, it, I'll take my scientist hat off and put on my human hat. <laughs> when I, <laughs> which I do from time to time, when I was in, I was 26. I had just gotten out of graduate school. I was in my first like big, important Fortune 500 job. And I was like, I'm going to find someone. And then I sort of didn't like my options at the time. I don't remember exactly what I concluded, but they, they were not 
you know, mm-hmm. positive. So I did not not intentionally, but in hindsight, I think I, I can learn from myself in the past. I did the opposite. So I was like, I'm going to get someone. And I said, no, I am not going to try at all to find someone. And um, coincidentally or not, I'm not sure. That was literally when I met my husband and mm. he's pretty great. So there's something to that to me. Um, and I, I haven't thought about this question until you just asked it. And I think it's really great in almost doing the opposite. Like Mm. if we are so dissatisfied with the approach we've been taking or what's been happening, ask ourselves, what would be the opposite? And maybe just to be safe, we put a time clock on it. So we say for, you know, for 30 days, I'm going to stop looking and I'm going to do something to help myself. Or if I've been using one app and I hate it and it's out to get me, maybe I suspend my profile and I go onto a different app. You know, I think there's a lot of different versions of what that could look like, but maybe that's something to try is when we're so dissatisfied that we feel like giving up, maybe try the opposite behavior. God, it doesn't have to be, let's say, so extreme that I need to alter my whole personality or, you know, come up with this piece of what's (laughs) missing. It's more of just how can I know myself and what's burning me out and what's exciting me. And that's a way of looking at self-awareness into how can I shift what I'm doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I would even say the journey of self-awareness can can almost be thought of as a series of small experiments. Mm. And it just takes the pressure off. It, we don't have to figure everything out. That that would be that would be boring actually if we woke up one day and we had mm-hmm. all the answers. But it's just, you know, what would it look like if I improved my self-awareness by 1% every, you know, whatever, month, week, year. Right. It adds up over time. Is it safe to say that everyone can work on their self-awareness? I think almost everyone. Oh can yeah. Work on <laughs> Who's the 1%? uh, Except for you and Rumi. (laughs) For me and Rumi. And by the way, I have just as much, if not more work to do than anyone else. And that's one thing I've learned. But yeah, you know, if you are not a uh, a clinical narcissist, for example, Mm, or somebody mm -hmm. who just is, we've all met those people. And, you know, is it possible for them to change? Sure. Is it less likely that they will? Probably less likely. Mm -hmm. But for, for most of us, the size of our transformation is only limited by our commitment and our creativity and our openness. So again, I come back to this. It is the most empowered thing that we can do to improve our self-awareness, in my opinion. You said something at the top of this episode that I still want to revisit here. You said the more self-aware we become, the more we're able to put ourselves in other people's shoes or something mm. along the lines of that. Can you mm-hmm. kind of explain what that means? So a good way to think about this would be, you know, if you're having an interaction with your significant other, or if you're on a date with a new person, when we're truly self-aware, we understand what we're bringing to the table. In other words, you know, how can I connect with this person? And how can I share the parts of myself that are, you know, the most me? Mm -hmm. And knowing that in some sense allows us to focus on the other person. Mm -hmm. So it allows us to, instead of, you know, proving how smart we are, how successful we are, we just are. We, We love our entire selves and we're honest and we see ourselves as clearly as we can. And that lack of something to prove, I think, or trying to make the person do something that, you know, isn't appropriate for the moment, that is what allows us to say, you know, tell me, what are your hopes and dreams? And I think anytime we've had an interaction with a really self-aware person, we come away with the sense of like, I feel so seen. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And that's that's the paradox is in seeing ourselves clearly, we can actually start to see other people clearly as well. Because mm-hmm. we're making room for other people in our mental space. Oh my gosh. I love that. I'm going to steal that with attribution. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some other ways then that self-awareness can show up in more committed relationships when you have this other person by your side? The So here, this is very specific, but hopefully it's it's food for thought. I think the longer we're with someone, the more conclusive determinations we make Mm. about who they are and who we are and who the relationship is. And there are times when that can be helpful, but there are also times where it can turn into, you always do this, Mm -hmm. right? Like every time this happens, you do this. And we get trapped in these cycles. And the more we can be open to not only am I a new person with every choice I make, but potentially my partner is, I think it's a mindset of finding new information, not just in ourselves, but in the relationship and in the other person. It, it can be, I think, the difference between something falling apart or even stagnating and something continuing to be real. Hmm. I'm going to ruminate on that one because I- <laughs> Don't ruminate, reflect. <laughs> I just had this conversation with my partner. I Like, you always forget what I say. You have the worst memory. You don't listen. <laughs> now I'm thinking back, well- Maybe it's just like the, I'm looking for evidence to mm-hmm. support that. But the next steps is, okay, I'm aware that this is something that triggers me. What are some mm. ways that I can help with the information and communication so that it's no longer about his responsibility to remember, <laughs> but our responsibility as a team? Okay, I'm going to think about that I <laughs> I could not love that more. And I think you that was a perfect example of the shift yeah. that self-aware people experience, right? Mm. You are no longer waiting for him to get his act together, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, whether mm-hmm. whether or not it's true, but you're taking ownership. And even, this is what's interesting, even if it's not successful, at least right away or on your first try, there's a different feeling that I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. doing something. And that that in and of itself is huge. And you mm-hmm. use the what instead of the why. So yes. Extra bonus Same. points. I learned that from this uh, very smart woman named Tasha Yurik. I don't know if you've heard of her, but that's so good. It's like, yeah, the, the student has become the teacher. <laughs> Sensei. So if people want to get to UA's level of self-awareness, <laughs> what are some little... Just listen to this over and over and over. <laughs> over, and over again. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what are some steps people could take every day? But maybe that's one of them. But outside of listening to this podcast on repeat, which we encourage you to do. Yeah. What are we some need other- to improve our download numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep listening to this every single day. Whatever most downloaded episode we've ever done. Yeah. But <laughs> What other (laughs) tips would you have for people that could just get that, you know, 1% better each day? Let me give you two and they're internal and external focused. I know. But wait, there's more. (laughs) So the the first is internal. And this is something that we saw in almost all of the people that we studied that weren't just highly self aware, but who had made really big improvements in their self awareness over time. And as I mentioned, they weren't spending hours a week in therapy, they were doing some type of daily practice where they essentially, you know, maybe it was when they were brushing their teeth at night or when they were working out at the end of the day, they asked themselves some form of the following three questions. And I call them the daily check-in. So the first question, keeping it very focused, is what went well today? Mm -hmm. Second question, what didn't go so well? Third question, how can I be smarter tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Or insert whatever word speaks to your heart. And 
that helps us build that incremental awareness. And I think if we go back to this concept of self-awareness as a series of small experiments, it starts to really show what we can learn on a daily basis. You know, I, mm-hmm. I tried that one thing with my you know, partner who I just, we can't communicate about this one issue. Didn't work. What can I try tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe that worked, right? Mm. So that's the internal piece. The external piece, this is not for the faint of heart, Uh-oh. but I would never suggest anything that I haven't done first and foremost multiple times myself. Okay. But it's something that I've named the dinner of truth. <laughs> the first time I heard the what this exercise was, um, and it was it was created by a communications professor named Josh Meisner. I had the same reaction you guys just did. I was like, "Oh, that can't be good." <laughs> no. And here's how it goes. So he has all of his undergraduates do this. You find someone who uh, your relationship with them is important, and you want to improve that relationship. You invite them to dinner. You ask them the following question, and you do not, in response, give any justification, defensiveness, anything. You just listen. The question is, what do I do that is most annoying to you? Uh-huh. Wow. Yes. <laughs> is that before before the entree? Where does that question I mean, come in this meal? <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> You can kind of get into it, but but I, I think it's good to be like, I want to ask you a really important question. And they'll be like, ooh, what is it, right? Um, and there's different ways you can have that conversation. Some people who might be introverted might want to think about it first. Mm. That's fine. Some people who are extroverts might... You, it might be fine to to kind of lay that on them right after the entree is served. So use your knowledge of the person, but get the answer. What do they think that you're doing that's most annoying to them? What is it about annoying? Like what made yeah. you choose that word over something else? That's a great question. So I can't speak for Josh. It, it, he He's very explicit about that word, okay. but I'll tell you the reason I think it's helpful is it helps us discover the lowest hanging fruits mm. of self-awareness. Mm, that's true. That makes mm-hmm. sense. That makes sense. Wow. Wow. That, sh- that should be a reality <laughs> TV show. Dinner of Truth. You know, oh, that definitely wouldn't that be great? great? Call me. <laughs> I'm just saying. And if you could survive the Dinner of Truth, you could survive anything. <laughs> You win a million dollars. That should be like a blind dating exercise. Just everyone lines up for the dinner of truth. Speed Holy dating. Holy shit. Oh my gosh. I watched that. I definitely watched that. I might I not be totally on it, that. but I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I mean, I have so many takeaways. I think the first is we are going to be shifting our language is what is happening in modern dating? Yeah. And what? what can you do to date better opposed to, you know, why are we dating the way we do? So that's mm-hmm. one thing. And I like this this balance of exploring the possibilities of what could be happening, but also being okay that you may never know and just moving forward. And that kind of brings me to the second takeaway away I had just throughout this whole conversation, how much trial and error went into everything you said. It was like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, I'll try this. If this doesn't work, I'll try that. And I think that's such a better mindset. Sometimes it's hard to say, oh, just be positive, focus on the good things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's a better mindset than ruminating about the things you can't change, like the dating apps or your city or all the externals that are usually the go-tos. And my other takeaway with self-awareness is it's not that you have to change something fundamentally about you as a person. Maybe it is if you do Dinner of Truth and you find your annoyances, it can't (laughs) hurt. But it also could be as simple of just reflecting of how you're feeling in different moments. 
And it doesn't have to be all or nothing either. In exercises we've done in some of our programs, sometimes instead of saying, okay, I'm going to delete this dating app entirely, let me check in with myself and see when I feel the most excited to use the dating app versus Mm -hmm. when I'm dreading it. So it doesn't need to be these drastic shifts. It can just be these little tweaks in trial and error to understand what's serving you the best and how can you continue to focus on what's serving you and minimize what isn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's amazing. Three big takeaways for me. One is I feel like we've been stuck in this self-awareness hamster wheel for too long where we're taking all these assessments and personality Mm -hmm. tests and we even look into astrology. But then everyone, I feel like a lot of daters are left with, now what? I know this about me. I know um, anxious attachment style. I know that I have this sort of schema. I know I'm this in Myers-Briggs. Now what? And I think this conversation helps us to move forward with the now what we this information is power but we need to be able to use this power to become better versions of ourselves i also love this idea that the more aware we are the more peace it brings us yes. i the way you were describing this to us where you can see the other person more clearly it's because we stop the mind chatter when we know ourselves and how many of us have been on dates where we totally do not remember what the other person said because we were so concerned with what we we were going to say, how we were being perceived, what information mm-hmm. we need to give, that we walk away only knowing more about ourselves <laughs> and not the other person. And with dating, it's so relational with other people that I think the more self-awareness we get, the more we're able to see other people clearly. And the third takeaway is I I have my own journal, but I write my own prompts, but I'm adding these three prompts to it. Uh, what went well, mm-hmm. what didn't go so well, and what can I do a little bit better tomorrow? That's going I to be it. really helpful for my journal. So I hope everybody can add that to their journal prompts as well. I love how simplistic that is too. Sometimes, yes. you know, they're so extravagant that you're like, ah, oh, I don't even know where to start. But this <laughs> is, is just a good way to get the foundations and there's nothing right or wrong with any of it. It's just that 1% every day. That's it. And and make it sustainable. Don't yes. stack the decks against yourself. I think we we do that often with the best of intentions. Like I want to be the, the most best that I can yeah. be as quickly as possible yeah. when it's really... I can run hundreds of miles over time if I do a little Mm. bit every day. That's true. Thank you so much, Tasha. If people want to learn more about you and get a hold of the books that you've written, where should they go? So what I've learned is it's not really about me. It's about you guys and and your your listeners. So one thing that we put out with the release of my book Insight on all of these findings was a five-minute self-awareness mm. quiz. Oh, and you go in, it's, it's a subset of our much, much longer, much, much more boring assessment <laughs> that we used in our research. But it's 14 questions. You fill it out for yourself. You send it to someone who knows you well, and they fill it out. And you get this really nice kind of high level picture of your self-awareness, plus a couple of really specific things you can do based on your results to improve if you want to. So if anybody wants to take that, it's at www.insight-quiz.com. Awesome. We will link it also. They can get in the rabbit hole of uh, all of our various websites (laughs) and learn more than they probably ever wanted to. (laughs) I'm going to take that assessment too. And for all of our listeners, you know, Julie and I are constantly trying to improve our self-awareness. So one way for you to help us to do that is to give us a review in Apple Podcasts. When you give us five stars, it really helps with our self-esteem. But when you write a review, it helps with our self-awareness. And dare I ask, what is something you really love about our podcast? What is something that really annoys? 
praise you. Hey, you know what? We're going to put it out there. We're going to ask the questions because it really does help us. And on that note, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Dr. Tasha Yurik, for being on our show and for for shedding the light on what we can do with self-awareness and how to improve our own self-awareness. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Stay dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.